praise you for your plan. The plan that you have brought about that we might be with you forever. Help us now as we look into your word. Help us to understand this plan even more. And God, I ask you now that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. May we look at your word empowered by your Holy Spirit. Would you change our hearts as we submit to you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're doing a sermon series here entitled The Story of the Bible, as you can see by what's up there on the screen. The idea is that we're doing an overview of of what the Bible says about God's plan and about where we fit in to God's plan. We're spending most of our time in the Old Testament in this sermon series. Last Sunday, Pastor Josh talked about the promised land. And there was a time in Israel's history where God was about to bring them into the promised land, but the Israelites suffered a horrendous lapse of faith and they didn't get to go in. And as a a punishment, they had a a 40-year timeout, as I like to call it. They were told to go sit in the desert for 40 years. Um, But eventually then, after that 40 years passed, they did get to go in the promised land. So I ask, how did things go for them once they got into the promised land? You know, the, the human heart, sometimes we say, if only I had blank, then my life would be better. You ever said this to yourself? If only I were done with school. If only I were married. If only... Fergus Falls got a Taco Bell. Um, <laughs> if, if only I could retire. You know, then, things, then, and we just fill our lives sometimes with saying, if only, if only, if only. You see, just because the Israelites lived in the promised land doesn't mean that they always acted by faith. In fact, once they were in there, one of the verses, the, the very last verse in the book of Judges says, everyone did as he saw fit. So they were living in the promised land, but they weren't following the God of the promise. And after they had been in the promised land for a while, they had an idea. They said, we want a king, just like all the other nations have. Now, God was supposed to be their king. They were supposed to be the one nation on earth that was different. But they looked around at all these other nations and said, we want to be like them. We want a king. And in 1 Samuel 8, God said that their request to ask for a king was actually a rejection of him as their king. But even so, God granted their request. And God wove that into the fabric of his story. So they asked for a king and they got a king. They got King Saul. And King Saul started out pretty good, but by the end of his reign, one thing was very clear. King Saul was looking out for his own interests. But after King Saul, there was a new king on the throne, King David. And David, as it says in the Bible, was a man after God's own heart. So things were different during David's reign. Israel started to live in a time of peace and security. See, we humans long for peace and security. Have you ever noticed that? You know when we tend to notice that we long for peace and security? is when we don't have it. It's amazing what lengths the human heart will go to to try to get peace and security when we don't have it. And it, it should remind us that that's something we long for. It's, it's like we long to live in a kingdom where things are safe. And uh, I, I don't like to get political in my sermons, and I'm not going to today. I just want to point out something to you about what's going on in our country as we have this battle over this immigration ban. There, there are two conflicting interests in mind. And by the way, there, there are things that we... We should want both of them. On the one hand, we want to be compassionate to refugees. The Bible tells us that we should be. But on the other hand, we want to live in a nation that's peaceful and secure. And that's not a wrong thought either. So 
So the, the tension that we're facing today is right about what we're talking about today. We want to live in a kingdom that is safe and secure. In fact, I think that this was even on the disciples' minds. Uh, shortly after Jesus had resurrected from the dead, the disciples were talking to him. And do you remember this verse? In Acts 1.6, they said to Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? See, for, for many, many, many years of Israel's history, they did not live in a time of peace and security. And the disciples are wondering, just as Jesus is about to go back up into heaven, they're wondering, are you now going to bring that kingdom, that safe place to earth? You see, when they were asking that question, I think they were thinking back to a promise that was given to King David about a thousand years before they lived. It's the promise from 2 Samuel 7, and that's the passage that we're going to look at today. I have often said that 2 Samuel 7 is the second most important passage in the Old Testament. If you're wondering what's the first most important, it's one that we've already looked at. I look at Genesis 12 and 15, I kind of combine them into one. They're, they're close to each other anyways. I would say that that's the most important. But what we're going to look at today is what I call the second most important passage in the Old Testament. Now, it's not the second most well-known. In fact, some of you might be thinking, huh, 2 Samuel 7, I wonder what's in there. What makes that so important? So for some of you, maybe one thing that you need to learn today is there's this passage here that's about this far into our Bible, and it's, it's a really important one. In fact, uh, Pastor Josh and I were talking about this passage earlier this week, and uh, I asked him if I could say this, and he said yes. Um, he told me how much he weighed. No, I'm kidding. That's not what he told me. Um, he... Uh, he said that 2 Samuel 7 is like the Grand Central Station of the Old Testament. So think about Grand Central Station. It is the busiest, uh, what do you call it, train station in America, uh, serving about 200,000 commuters daily in the New York area. So, but, but Grand Central Station isn't necessarily the place where, it's not necessarily a destination. For a lot of people, it's how you get from point A to point C. So you start out at point A, you go to Grand Central Station, which is point B, and maybe you transfer and you go off to point C from there. That's kind of what 2 Samuel 7 is in the Bible. The, you could say that point A, in many ways, were the promises that, that God gave to Abraham when he first called him. Remember, we, we walked through those amazing promises that God gave to Abraham. And eventually, point C, we're going to see how they're fulfilled in Jesus. But point B is this kind of Grand Central Station passage right here in 2 Samuel 7, where, where God gives even more promises to David. And uh, one thing that Pastor Josh said was that, he, he's a sharp guy, by the way, um, he, he said that almost every major theme of the Old Testament runs through 2 Samuel 7. So you can kind of get the Grand Central Station analogy there. And, and by the way, I just, just a, an application point. The Bible is an amazing story. And we, none of us here, know it as well as we should, but the more we keep reading it, the more we will see God's handiwork in putting this story together and including you in that story as well. So I just want to urge you again to keep reading your Bible, to, to keep getting to know this story better and better. So today we're going to look at 2 Samuel 7 in three parts. And, and the part that I really want to focus in on is that second part. So, uh, but let's look kind of quickly then at the first part. I'll read 2 Samuel 7, verses 1 through the first part of 11. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, 
Here I am, living in a palace of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. That night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. Hit the pause button here. There's Egypt again. Remember we told you how important Egypt was in in the story of the Bible? It was this amazing miracle. And, And here's how I think of it. If you lived in Old Testament times and the question came in your mind, why should I believe in God? One of the answers was, don't you remember what God did to get his people out of Egypt? The Red Sea, that was an amazing miracle. Now think about that. What about the New Testament? What would we say? Egypt is mentioned in the New Testament, but is there an even more important miracle? There is. Why should I believe in the God of the Bible? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's kind of interesting to me that both in the Old Testament and the New Testament we have this amazing miracle that we're supposed to look back at and say, wow, there is a God. And it's, it's the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, but back to 2 Samuel 7. God continues to say, I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. So what we saw there in verse 1 is what I already told you. David was on the throne of Israel and God gave them peace and security. It was secure enough that David was able to build himself this really amazing looking palace. And as he's living in his palace, he looks over at the tent that the Ark of God was in, and David thought, something's not quite right here. I've got my palace, and God has a tent. So David had in mind to build a temple for God, and it, and it was a decent idea. So David asked the prophet Nathan, and Nathan said, yeah, go ahead and do it. The Lord is with you. But then something happened in verse 4 that we've seen a bunch in this story of the Bible series. God spoke. Remember, God spoke the world into existence. God spoke to Abraham. God spoke to Moses. And now God spoke to David through Nathan the prophet. By the way, we still have a speaking God. He speaks to us in his word. Never forget that about our God. He speaks to us. And what God said here is that God didn't need David to build a house for God. God is the one who built up David as king. God would be the one who would continue to strengthen David and would give Israel a safe place to dwell. So what we see in the first part of 2 Samuel 7 is that God had something far more important in mind. It started with a question from David, can I build a temple for you, God? And in response, God is telling David that he had something much more important. And that's where we get to now as we look at the the next section, and this is the one that I wanted to key in on today. Starting in the middle of verse 11. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. 
He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So there's a play on words in this passage. In the first part, David asked God if he could build a house or a temple for God. And then as we go to verses 11 and 12, we see that God wanted to build a house, a kingdom, for David. So once again, we see that God is a God who makes promises. That's what we've seen a lot of in our story of the Bible series. And I hope you know that when God makes a promise, he keeps it. Now, the amazing promises we've, we've seen already, we saw them in Genesis 12, we see them here in this chapter, and they're going to get fulfilled in Jesus, and they're going to get fulfilled in heaven as we get to live with God forever. But here, these promises center around the idea of a kingdom. Now, if you've read your Bible, you know that kingdom is an important word. It shows up all over the place in the New Testament. And what's really important about it here is that God is the one who builds the kingdom. That's why we started off singing today, build your kingdom here because God is the builder. How is God going to build this kingdom? Well, he told David that it would happen through his offspring. So, kingdom is an important word. Offspring is another important word. You see how this passage is kind of like Grand Central Station? All these really important words in the Bible, they show up here. So offspring, let's think about that. Where have we seen offspring before? Well, go back to Abraham again. God promised offspring to Abraham. Remember, there was kind of like a double promise there with Abraham. First of all, the, the promise to Abraham is that he would have many offspring, as many as the sand on the seashore, as many as the stars in the sky. But then there was a second part of that promise, right? Because we know that there would be one special offspring of Abraham, Jesus, through whom all nations on earth would be blessed. That was one of the promises given in Genesis 12, that, that through Abraham all nations on earth would be blessed, and we know that that finds fulfillment in Jesus. Okay, so we've got this offspring language again here, and it, it's interesting to me, the very first verse of the New Testament it's in one of those genealogies that sometimes we overlook. But here's the first verse of the New Testament that links Jesus both to Abraham and to David. It says, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So this promised offspring of Abraham, this promised offspring of David, is Jesus. And getting back to 2 Samuel 7, uh, there's that word offspring again. We see that God would build a kingdom through his offspring. And then in verse 13, God told David that this offspring would build a house for the name of the Lord. Now, let's pause here for a moment in the first half of verse 13, where God promised that the offspring of David would build a house for God. How is that promise fulfilled? Well, it's interesting here. Oftentimes, this is just really helpful. If you're ever wondering about the, the prophecies of the Old Testament, oftentimes they had an initial fulfillment in, in that time and place, but then there was a fuller fulfillment that would come later. And that's the way it works here with this promise in 2 Samuel 7. Because we could look at Solomon. Solomon was the son of David. Solomon 
sat on the throne of David. You see, kings want dynasties. If, if you're ever a king, that, that would cross your mind. When I die, what's going to happen to my kingdom? I'd like to be able to pass it on to my child and to his child and on and on and on. And that's what we saw in the line of King David. We saw that Solomon took the throne and then Solomon's son and Solomon's grandson and on and on and on down the line for about 400 years. So Solomon kind of looks like he might fulfill the promises here. Also, Solomon was the one who built the house for the name of God. Solomon built that temple, the temple that, Nate, uh, excuse me, that David asked God if he could build, but God said no. God said Solomon will build it, and Solomon did build it, and he built this amazing temple as a place where God would be worshipped. So you could look at these promises given to David and the fulfillment in Solomon and think, wow, there's a lot there. And there is a lot there, but there's something that's not quite right as well. Because when we look at these verses in this passage we just read, we start to see some ways in which Solomon fell short. First of all, there were the moral shortcomings of Solomon, which we're going to talk about next Sunday. Uh, But for now, just know that Solomon did lots of things wrong, and he was punished by God for them. And second of all, there's a word, there's an important word that starts in verse 13 of our passage and will be repeated seven more times in our passage that shows us that Solomon couldn't really fulfill it. It's the word forever. So you see it right there at the end of verse 13? I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So think about this. How can God fulfill that forever promise? There's two ways. One way would be if there was an unbroken line of kings. If David's son and grandson and on and on and on down the line always sat on the throne. Well, we know from history that that didn't happen. Even though they could still trace the line of kings at the time of Jesus' birth, for hundreds of years, those, those ancestors weren't sitting on the throne. The, the kings of Israel lost their throne due to their sin. Remember when, when Babylon came and overtook them? The king was taken off the throne. So that can't be the way that that promise was fulfilled because historically it didn't happen that way. So there needs to be another way that the forever promise will be fulfilled. And I think you know where I'm going with this, don't you? The forever promise of an offspring of David to sit on the throne forever is fulfilled in who? Say it with me. Jesus. Now let's think about the New Testament. Remember when the angel Gabriel was speaking to Mary? Um... Remember what he said in Luke chapter 1? You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you, will, you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Do you see that in, in 2 Samuel 7? I will be his father and he will be my son. So he's the Son of the Most High. Then moving on. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. How long? Forever. His kingdom will never end. So you see... What, what God was doing in 2 Samuel 7 was pointing all the way ahead to Jesus and, and telling us about the kingdom that would last forever. So we humans who long for peace and security have been given a promise by God that there would be a forever kingdom with King Jesus as the leader. So, if Jesus is the fulfillment of these promises... Then we need to go back to our passage, and there's a curious verse in there. I want you to look at verse 14 now. I'll reread it for you. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. Now remember, there's a double fulfillment in here. Part of the fulfillment was what happened with Solomon and his offspring, the the line of kings after him. 
And then part of it is what happened with Jesus. But with Jesus, he never did anything wrong. Solomon did things wrong. Solomon received punishment. The other line, every single king that came after them in the, in the line of Israel, for 400 years, they did things wrong and they were punished. But Jesus never did anything wrong. So why will it say, when he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men? Well, I want you to look at that word floggings right there at the end of that verse. It's the same word in Isaiah 53, 8, where it says... Uh, that Jesus would be flogged or stricken for the transgression of God's people. And I'm guessing that you're familiar in the New Testament accounts of the crucifixion that Jesus wasn't just nailed to a cross. Before he was nailed to a cross, he was flogged. So I think what we see here in 2 Samuel 7 is Jesus stepped in. That, that we all had sinned, just like Solomon and David and the, and the rest of the kings after them, we all had sinned, but Jesus came in and took our punishment upon himself. And I hope you know that. We talked about it at communion today, and we're going to talk about it again just for a little bit now, because we need to know that, that God is a God of justice, that when we sin against him, he doesn't just look the other way and say, oh, it's really not that big of a deal. It is a big deal. Our sin separates us from God. And unless your sin is paid for, you cannot be in a relationship with God. And here's the other part of the deal. You can't pay for your sin yourself. So for, for Jesus to come in and take our punishment and our flogging and eventually our death, it means that that's the only rescue that we have from our sin problem. And I hope you know that. Please do not trust in yourself and your ability to make it to God on your own. The only way to God is through Jesus Christ and through the forgiveness that comes because of what he did for us in his cross and resurrection. So these promises that are given to David here, we get in on them if we have faith in Jesus Christ. If we believe in him, we will be saved. But to believe in him then means that we should believe in him for who he is and who do we see him as being here in this passage? He's the king. And with this kind of king, there's only room for one. And it's not you, and it's not me. Jesus Christ is king, and we are to submit to him. Okay, so what we see in this passage is that God is building a house, a kingdom, with King Jesus as the leader of it. And God wants to include us in that building project. And I could say a lot more on that topic right now, but I'm not going to, except to say that the New Testament tells us about how God is building us up as a building with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. And we get to be part of it. But let's take a look now at the last section of 2 Samuel 7. I want to read for you verses 17 through 29. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, O sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. 
And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever and you, O Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised so that your name will be great forever. Then men will say, The Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. O Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to offer you this prayer. O sovereign Lord, you are God. Your words are trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, O sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing the house of your servant will be blessed forever. So it's interesting to me, 2 Samuel 7 would make sense without that part that I just read. God gave the promises to David, and David could have just gone on and said, okay, that's great. But it's so important for us, and, and David is such a good model for us in this, that I really want to spend just a few minutes here to look at how David responded as a model for how we should respond to God. So there are three things that I want to point out here from, from David's response. And the first one is that David praised God. In response to God's promises, David worshipped God. That's the proper response. When, when we see that God has done something for us, we should go to him with praise and adoration. Worship is the proper response for us. Like King David, we should say things like he said in verse 22, How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. There is no God but you. I pray that we will be people who stop and worship often. So is that part of your life? Do you often go before God and thank him for who he is and what he's done? I want us to be people who live not just on Sunday morning like that, but all our days, that we give God glory and praise and thanks. So I have a new homework assignment here. I know I already gave you one to read Psalm 89. I sent that on the email. I have a new one for you, though. And some of you might really enjoy this. Write a psalm of praise to God this week. Take some time away and just write in response to who God is and what he's done for you, write a psalm of praise. And I'm not saying that we're going to add it into the Bible as Psalm 151, but it, but it might be a good way for you just to, to put down in words your, your gratitude and your adoration to God. And then there's a second response from David that can serve as a great example for us. He asked God to do what God had already promised. Look at verse 25. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised. This one caught me off guard several years ago. Do you ever read the Bible and I'm like, whoa, I, that seems strange. This verse seems strange to me several years ago. I thought, why should I pray for something that God has already told me that he's going to do? Isn't prayer where like, we're, we're asking God to do stuff for us? But if he's already told us he's going to do it, why should we ask God to do it? Well, David's response taught me something about prayer. Prayer isn't just when we ask God for stuff. Prayer is when we submit our hearts to God's will. And I think what King David was doing here was he, by faith, was, was talking to God about his promises in such a way as to align his heart with God's ways. And what happens when we align our heart to God's ways? He strengthens our heart. 
So this is actually a wonderful model of prayer, and, it, and it's one that seemed odd to me, and maybe it seems odd to you, and if so, I, I want you to take note of that and, and maybe learn something new today. You see, we should be praying for the things that God has told us he will do. And let me give you one example from the New Testament. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, why did Jesus ask us to pray that? Is it because God's kingdom won't come unless we ask him to bring it about? No. God's kingdom is going to come whether we ask for it or not. We, we can't stop God's kingdom from coming by not praying about it. God's kingdom will come. So why did Jesus teach us to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done? Because as we pray that, we submit our hearts to God and God strengthens us. So this is actually a, a, a wonderful thing that we can and should be doing in prayer, is that we recognize that, that Jesus is our king, and we want to submit to him as our king. So do you see what David was doing here? His response after receiving the promises from God was to ask God to do those promises, and I think David did it just to remind his heart that God is the one who is in charge. And boy, could we all use that to remember that God's in charge. So let's pray according to the promises we see in the Bible. So you can, almost anywhere you're reading in the Bible, just pick something out of there of something that God has said he will do or something that God wants to do in your heart and pray about it. And here's the great part about this. When we're praying according to God's will, we can be assured that he hears us and that he answers. That's what it says in 1 John 5. We know that when we pray according to his will, he hears and he answers. May your heart be strengthened as you pray like that. And then there's one final way that we can learn from David in his response of prayer. David prayed that God's name would be great forever. Let me uh, read again the end of verse 25 and then into verse 26. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then men will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel. I love this about David, and perhaps this is one of the reasons why David was called a man after God's own heart. Having heard the wonderful things that God was going to do for David, David didn't stop and say, hey, that's really cool for me. Look what I get. David, right after hearing these promises, said, God, may your name be made great. Now, I want you to think about something, and this would be, um, this is convicting for me, but I want, I want you to think about you. Don't think about me. Okay, think about you right now. How many things did you do this past week that were to make your name look good? Okay? The, the response from David here is that he wanted God's name to be made good, but how much energy do we spend as humans trying to make ourselves look good? I'd be embarrassed if there, if there was a list of things written out this week about what I did that was for me and you all were to read. I'd be embarrassed. And I'm guessing some of you might be embarrassed as well. But think about that. God's name is the one that should be made great. And one of the ways that we can make God's name great is by worshiping him and by telling others how great he is. Are you taking time to worship God like that? So again, three responses from David. Um, the, the third one there, that God's name would be made great. The second one was that um, if I can just go back in my brain here, the, the second one was to pray for what God had already promised, and the first one was that David worshipped God according to what he had revealed to him. Do you pray like that? Worshipping God.
trusting in him to do what he said he would do and praying that his name would be made great. Okay, very quickly in conclusion then, do you see how 2 Samuel 7 is kind of like Grand Central Station? All these major themes of the Bible running right through it. We get promises of God here. Uh, but the promises don't just stop right here. They keep moving forward. And we're going to keep moving forward in our sermon series. But just think back to what we saw in this chapter. And in the start of this chapter, David had a plan to build a temple. It was a pretty decent plan. But God had something much more grand in mind. God wanted to build a house that would last forever. A house where Jesus is king. A house that we get to be included in if we have faith in Jesus. The promises that were given to Abraham, the promises that were given to David will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ and will be fulfilled in heaven as we live with God forever. So this story of the Bible, it's an amazing story. I want you to continue to get to know it. I want you to keep reading your Bibles. And I want you to worship God as you do it. Having been blessed by God, let's be people who return that blessing to him by worshiping him. And again, I just love how King David talked about how God's name would be made great. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, you have done wonderful things for us. You have given us amazing promises. And we thank you for how we've already seen fulfillment of some of those promises in Jesus Christ in his first coming to take our sin upon himself and to be flogged for us, to die for us, that we might have forgiveness, that we might have eternal life with you. We thank you for that fulfillment. And God, we thank you for the fulfillment that is still to come as well as we look forward to eternity with you. God, we praise you as the one who keeps his promises. And we pray now, God, that you would fulfill your promises. We pray that your kingdom will come, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we thank you and praise you as the promise giver, as the life giver. And we pray that your name would be made great, that all nations would come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.